I love that song. Heart of my own heart. That's what Jesus prayed in the garden, John 17. Father, that they be one with us as we, I and you, and, and you and me, and they and us, that we might be one. We're looking at verse 13 through 20. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Do not think I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Father, I pray that you give us understanding of your word. Lord, that I might be spirit-filled spirit as a teacher, that these that listen might be spirit-filled listeners. Lord, that you might have your way in our life, that you might stir us up as your children to who you have brought us into this world to be. You've been... We've been born again with life from you. Oh, Lord, that we might walk faithfully, not quenching the spirit, but living out, letting our light shine in such a way that men might see it and give you the glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, it's not good for anything. What is it talking about? It's talking about the first verses. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. That's the entrance into the kingdom. Those that understand that they're bankrupt spiritually, they, they need God in their life. Jesus is talking about the DNA that's, that will be given to those that trust in him as their savior. It's no surprise that when your children are born, your natural biological children, they look like you, they talk like you. I've told you before that when the boys were just, their voices begin to change, as somebody would call on the phone and they love to answer when we had landlines and say, hello, and they'd say, pastor, and they'd say, yes. <laughs> and then they'd giggle and they'd give the phone to me and say, oh, they sound just like you. Well, we're related. We went to pick up... Uh, PJ's friends from the Navy base for his wedding and Ben and David and I went down and now I look at my sons and I see the total difference right the total you know I mean they're they're different but these guys got in the van and they said see like identical twins why same DNA and when you are born again when you are truly born again by the power of God by the spirit of God then these things are in you it's not things that you do in order to become a Christian but as you are born again, these things grow in your life. Just like when a baby comes, they're not mature. And so at first you're going, who do they look like? I don't know. They look like a baby, you know. 
And some babies are born, they become beautiful later, and you look at them and you go, huh? Ah. The mother's looking at you and say, oh, that's a baby there. But the baby grows up and grows into maturity. And when a, a baby is first born into the kingdom and you are first born again, you aren't mature, but all these things are there. I love to take people that have come to Christ through the epistle of 1 John. And God put all these things in there so that we might look at the scripture and say, oh, I need to grow in that area. Or we might look and give ourselves permission to say, you know, maybe I don't have life. Maybe I just have religion because I have no power. And worship wears me out, and I don't care about fellowship, and I really don't care to be around Christians, and, and I really don't like to listen to the word that much. I just like the religious feeling. And so we have people that come because they see the parking lot full. And they go, well, there must be something going on out there to come in, and they enjoy the fellowship. And pretty soon, they're offended by the word. But I take people through 1 John, because 1 John is kind of like this passage here, and it lays out, these are things you're going to find in your life. What did John start with? Those things that we have seen and heard and touched of the word of life, we want to tell you about those things. That's a mark of the believer. You want to tell other people about what you found in Christ and about the freedom and the joy. The burden's been taken away, and you have hope now, and you have purpose in life. And you want to tell people about that. And you want to walk in the fellowship with him. And all of a sudden, being with other believers is such a precious thing. And then you have this new conviction of sin. You say, what is that? You used to feel bad about what you got caught doing. Now, all of a sudden, there's just a wrong thought, and the Holy Spirit is like, mm, right there, right? What is that? Some people wonder, did I really get saved? Because now I feel sin so much more. No, you really got saved. Because one of the marks of the believer, besides wanting to share with other people and desiring fellowship and loving the brethren, is you have a new conviction of sin. And 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the second chapter begins, and he said, little children, I write these things to you, that you sin not. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 6, you know, we don't sin that grace may abound. God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin continue to live in it? You come to the third chapter of, of 1 John, and he says, you have a new lifestyle now. If you're still living the old lifestyle and pretending on Sunday, you're still dead in your trespasses and sins. But he says, little should I write to you, 1 John 2, that you sin not. But if you sin, remember this. You have an advocate with the Father. Your attorney is Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who paid the debt of your sin. And what happens when you as a believer, because you're known, the second principle there is true believers mourn over their sin. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. By who? By God. You no longer carry the burden of sin. You no longer have that heavy yoke of life on you. Why? Because you've taken his yoke upon you, and you're learning from him, and you find rest to your soul. But the mark of a believer is not that he doesn't sin anymore. He sins less. You'll be sinless when you get to heaven, but you sin less, and you're growing 
Why? Because you're growing in your love for God. And every time you confess your sin, you mourn over your sin, you realize again the amazing grace of God that he died for you in spite of the believer you're going to turn out to be. I mean, because be honest, you're not the Apostle Paul. Right? In the amazing grace of God, he loves us just as much as he loved the Apostle Paul who turned around and hit the ground running the other way, didn't he? Oh, Apostle Paul wasn't perfect. But he's one of those we look at and say, how could he be so faithful? Here's the answer. He had Christ. He said, it's no longer I, but Christ that lives in me. And that's what made Paul salty in the world. Now, salt and light. John MacArthur says you can wrap it into one word, and that's influence. We have these, this life in us that mourns over sin, that is gentle. So blessed are the gentle, they will inherit the earth. How can we be meek? Now, gentle is not weak. Meek is not weak. It's power under control. It's the word that's used when you gentle a horse. You know, the most amazing horse to ride is a well-trained horse that is very powerful. I love watching those cutting horses. They were bred for that. They know what they're doing. And the cowboy just has to try to hold on because that horse knows what he's doing. Tremendous power. Now, an unbroken horse is not good for anything. Most people don't eat horse, unless you're French. They say they eat horse in France. I, it's against my religion. Something about eating horse just seems wrong. So if it's an unbroken horse, it's not been gentle. Do you understand? In English and in Spanish, we were, use the word for gentleman as someone who brings meekness to horses. Someone knows how to have power under control and share that. Caballero is the word in Spanish. It's someone that gentles, a gentle man. Why can we be gentle? Because it's not all about here and now, huh? Somebody cheats you in the business deal? It's not about all you can get and can all you get and sit on the lid? No. We're going to inherit all this. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness of them. The world and everything that lives and breathes on it. And one day he's going to make it new. You don't want this old world anyway. It's going to burn. It's a disposable planet. Now we're supposed to take care of it while we have it. This is like the old days, right? No nursery. Just together as a family. It's kind of cool. It's kind of cool. It's all right. One day this is going to burn up. Now, we want to take good care of our responsibility while we're here. You know, give a hoot, don't pollute and all that. But one day this world is going to pass away. And God's going to give you, his children, a new heavens and a new earth. An everlasting life to live eternity in it. That's why we don't have to get upset. Somebody cheats us. We're not getting all we think we should. Life isn't fair. Young people, learn this. The world is really big on crying out like big babies. That's not fair. Life is not fair. But I want to tell you something. God is just. 
God is just. And everything you think people are getting away with, they're not getting away with. So you don't have to get all worried and distracted about that and get mean and nasty. You can be gentle. Because you're going to inherit the earth. Next he says, Blessed are those in hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Let me tell you something. Nobody's inspired by legalism. That doesn't inspire anybody. You know what legalism is about? It's about shame and secrecy. And if you live in a culture of legalism, you can usually shame most people into kind of looking alike. Mostly what they're doing is going underground. And that's what the Pharisees were good about. They were good about hiding it. And Jesus called them out and he said, In the out, you're like, outside you're like whited sepulchers. In the outside you're all whitewashed, but in the inside you're full of all manner of corruption and dead men's bones. He saw them who they were. In verse 20, Dr. Bookman says, it's like he pointed across the crowd because there was always a little gaggle of Pharisees who thought they were the gatekeepers, who thought they were the ones that decided what righteousness was. They were the ones that had changed the law. They'd added to it. They'd interpreted it because that was too hard. So let's make something that's keepable. And they added all this great burden that they wouldn't lift with a little finger. The gatekeepers. And Jesus pointed at them and he said, they're the ones that change the law. They're not keeping the law. Unless your righteousness exceeds their righteousness, you'll not see the kingdom of heaven. And that included them, the gatekeepers. This is the key of these beatitudes. This is the key of life in our life. Those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. Oh, how convicting that is. Because our hearts are prone to wander, aren't they? Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Prone to run after this and run after that and be burdened about things that are not important and let them put stress in our life. And we come back to this high mountain peak and Jesus says, blessed are those that hunger for who? For Jesus, because he is righteousness personified. Right wiseness. It's an old English word that we've brought forward from the Greek word diakonos, and it just means the desire to be right with God, to make right decisions, things that honor him. Who gave you that hunger? That came with knowing Jesus Christ. Now, I love feeding my boys in there growing up. Now, it was hard on Christy a lot. We keep buying milk. These guys are going through four gallons a day. I said, yes, they are. Good boys. That's what makes boys big. Do you know why calves turn into bulls? Milk. <laughs> People are buying all these protein drinks. I said, boys, just drink milk. Have cookies, but drink milk. Gallon a day. I'll tell you something. You put gallon a day in boys, and you give them a little challenge in the weight room, they get big. They get strong. There's hunger there. I just love to watch them eat because I, you know, when you're young, you go to a restaurant and you judge the restaurant how much food you get. Mm -hmm. Now it hurts me to think about that. But man, my boys, we, we weren't sure when Ben was growing up, if he ever got full or we just ran out of food. You know what honors God? Our hunger for him. David had a hunger and a thirst for the Lord that just was 
It seemed like insatiable. I can't get enough of you, Lord. And the, the truth is, we can't. But the promise here is, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you hunger and thirst for the Lord Jesus Christ in your life, he will satisfy you. There's nothing else that satisfies. This is the key beatitude right here, hungering and thirsting for him. Because if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, the right attitude about those that are sinful around you is mercy. Blessed are the merciful. You see, you're gentle. You don't have to have it all. No, you can give mercy instead of getting even. You hunger for the blessing of God. You hunger after Jesus. And so it's, it's right that you're merciful. And you're not looking to get mercy from other people. That's where sometimes we start feeling burned out. You feel like you've served the Lord. You've ministered your gifts. And nobody sees it. Who are you doing it for? That is the test, is it not? When you begin to realize, I don't think people appreciate me. Then all of a sudden you realize that's sin. Because you're doing it for the wrong people. Now listen, God's people ought to appreciate one another in love. But you'll be real disappointed and very burned out if that's why you're doing your ministry. Because when you show mercy, you're not doing it because people will get their hearts right. You're doing it because it's just who you are. You are merciful because the God that's in you is merciful. In Philippians chapter 2, we read, let the mind of Christ be in you. Let the same attitudes be in you, which is in Christ. Why? Because it's Christ in you. That both wills to do of his good pleasure. That's God in you. That's called grace. The desire and the ability to please God. But it starts with the ability. Don't quench that. That's God in you, who gives you that desire to be merciful. Sometimes in counseling situations, you're, you're giving, all I can give people is a scripture. That's all we can give them. You can try to push their buttons, that'll blow up on you later. Try to, try to manipulate people so they treat one another nicer. Unless they're believers, and they believe this, that they're called to be merciful. And I'll tell you, it's, it's really a lot easier in fact, it's amazing when you disciple real believers. And maybe they're going through a hard time in their marriage because, surprise, that person's a human and they're not perfect. And she squeezes the toothpaste in the middle and that just bugs the life out of you. That's such a waste, right? There's all those little things that you couldn't see past her beauty and now you're living with her and she's got problems, you know. And you think you, it's your job to fix her. And the same for girls. You thought, well, I can see the problems, but I can fix them. And then you find out you can't. And that's where in Christ, marriage becomes incredible. It becomes amazing. But I know that you that counsel people, we try to counsel people, and pretty soon you say, I don't think they have the Lord. Because they'll try these principles, of just, just forgive her. Be kind. Forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Listen, in the big picture, whatever he's done, can't compare to your sin against God and the murder of his only begotten son. You say, whoa, what do you mean? What are you talking about? Yeah, that's, we, 
He, he died on the cross so that all the world became guilty. Every one of us have a part in his death on the cross. And that's why we glory in the cross because that's why our victory was won. That's why he could give us this life in the Holy Spirit. But we give mercy not to get the right response out of other people. Our mercy comes from God. Whether or not anybody ever listens to you, we get mercy from God. That's why we're merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they should see God. And that's just talked about focus. You know, Matthew talked about how, or Jesus goes on to talk in this, in this sermon about if your eye is single, then your body's going to be full of light. But if you've got one eye on the light and one eye on darkness, thinking, well, I think I can work God here. That's what the Pharisees thought. I, I think I can work God. He's not going to see. I'll go to church on Sunday because I really want that Mercedes. You think God doesn't know that? If you're a child of God and you're still thinking that immature way, either he's not going to give you the Mercedes, he'll give you with a big spanking afterwards, and you're going to go, whoa, I don't want that anymore, right? Sometimes he lets us fill up with the world just so we can see that is not it. And his grace and his mercy, that is not it. The pure in heart, what is our purity? What is the pureness of our heart to please God? That's why Paul wrote 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the first part. And he says, listen, have some courage here, folks. To be ash in the body is to be present with the Lord. Okay, that's done now. This tent is going away, all right? If you look at it from that perspective, our brother Tim won the lottery. Really. He's never going to get old. He went from fullness of life and strength to spiritual life in heaven forever. I began to think that way a couple years ago. My grandpa died at the same age as my brother Tim, 68 years old. And oh, I miss my grandpa. I still miss him today. When I think about all the things that he wasn't a part of in my life, and I could have gone to him and said, hey, grandpa, what about this? Because I know my grandpa loved me. But man, what a way to go. Never getting old. Never having to have other people necessarily take care of you. And we know that God has a plan for everybody's life. To get to the place where your thoughts are cloudy and you begin to, like I said in Psalm 90, just having a hard time getting around. And Ecclesiastes, the last chapter says, when the, those that look out of the windows start getting dark and the strong men begin to tremble. Absent the body, present with the Lord. Why? So we would concentrate and have pureness of heart about this one thing. Whether absent the body and present with the Lord, absent the Lord and alive here in this physical body, we have this one purpose, to be pleasing unto him. That's it. That's pureness of heart. In everything we say or do or eat or drink, that we do it to give glory to God. Pureness of heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. They shall see God. Why? That's our focus. See, heaven isn't about the wonderful streets of gold and the great architecture that, that he has built for us. Jesus said in Hebrew wedding speak, if you were, I go to prepare a place for you. I'm going to go put a room on my father's house just for you. But the blessing of this 
was not about the wonderful dwelling he's preparing. He says, that where I am, there you may be also. The great joy of heaven is that our Savior is there. Oh, to see Jesus face to face. Because now, 1 Peter 1.8, you have never seen him, but you love him. But oh, to see him. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called children of God. That's what we do, isn't it? Oh, it's not about going around making everybody feel good and peace at any price. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about compromise. We're talking about people that it's the goal in our life to see our friends come to know Jesus Christ, that they might have peace with God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, you get to the end of the, the passage. He said, you are ambassadors for Christ as though Jesus were speaking through us, be reconciled to God. As though he were begging through us. That is our life. Make peace with God. Judgment is coming. That's what the children of God do. So often we back off because, oh, you know, I don't want people to think I'm a nut. Listen, if you're in Christ, that's who you are. You think that's nuts, you better change your attitude. That's who you are. You're an ambassador for Christ. The question is not if you're an ambassador or not, what kind of ambassador are you? Is your light kind of stuffed under the bed, under a basket? It's not why God saved you. Saved you that you might give light to everybody that's around you. Light is influence in its direction. Peacemakers, children of God, want to bring others into fellowship with God, that they might have peace with God also. And then verses 10 through 12, blessed are the persecuted. What is the value in that? Jesus is just speaking these words, and I'm sure these people are going, what is he talking about? Because he's the first person they've ever seen that actually personified those values. You can't live the other Beatitudes without eventually experiencing this one. And Paul, in Acts 16, in the, in the jail in Philippi, in Philippi, was singing at midnight. Because all of a sudden, the grace of God hit them. See, Paul didn't enjoy beatings any more than you would enjoy a beating. That's why God showed up when he just first began to enter Corinth. With all the challenges that the Corinthian people were going to you know, bring to him, God sends an angel to him and he shows up and he says, Paul, listen, I want you to know something. Nobody's going to lay a finger on you here. Isn't that a blessing to you to know that Paul needed that kind of encouragement once in a while? Sometimes you take a stand for the Lord and it doesn't work out right and all of a sudden you've got threat of losing your job because that's becoming more and more real today. But God knows how to give grace to his children that supernatural life that actually begins to enjoy and have joy, not that you enjoy persecution, but you have joy in spite of the persecution, and you praise God because all of a sudden you realize, I'm identified. I'm identified with the faithful. Faithful in spite of opposition. That's what makes us salt. And you may not have that in full maturity today, but isn't that the desire in your heart as a believer? 
I need to be more merciful to people. Some people you counsel and counsel wears you out and you just think, somebody on the out says, how can you keep doing that? I don't know. I just got to keep loving them. I just believe that God is able to change hearts and so I'm just going to keep giving them the truth. Listen to them rant. Keep giving them the truth. Because here's the deal. <laughs> I can't change anybody. I don't care how good counsel you are. You can't change any heart. But it's amazing how God can do that. And you may have been ministering to this person for a long time, and all of a sudden God turns the light on. Maybe it's from somebody else. I said, hey, you know, I heard this guy preach the other day, and boom, they finally got it. And you're going, that's what I've been saying for three years. But it was God's time, right? And we still rejoice in it because we can't change hearts. The Bible says in 1 Peter God has given to us, 2 Peter chapter 1, God has given to us everything we need for life and godliness right here. It's the life of Jesus Christ. But he goes on to write, if you don't have these things growing in your life, there's two possibilities. One, you've grown nearsighted. You just begin to get your eyes on the things around you and you've been distracted. That's sin. You need to get your heart right. You recognize that, Lord, I don't hunger and thirst after you the way I should. There's an answer for that. It's called repentance. Agreeing with God. Confessing your sin. Agreeing with God. And asking for grace to go the other direction. God, you fill me. You give me that appetite. I realize I'm sick. I remember sitting seventh grade football. I've been looking forward to football my whole life, being able to play on a team. We didn't have little guy football in Wheatland, so seventh grade came and I had the flu. And so I tried to go to practice and run sprints and do grass drills because they weren't easy on us as seventh graders in those days. That was the 60s, right? And pretty soon I was throwing up and I was sitting on the fence and I was questioning. Self, why did you say you like football? You don't like football, do you? No, this makes me sick. Because I was sick. You can be a believer and be sick and say, I don't know, this just feels bad. But recognize that's what God created you for and go to God and say, God, search me and try me. Cleanse my heart. Renew a right spirit within me. This sin is killing me. These distractions that fill my life are pulling me away from your life. Make me salt again. What does salt do? It preserves and it flavors. As you have that influence in life, some people are going to react to you just like when you put salt in a wound, right? Hey, Get that God stuff away from me. Don't even pray for me. Right, that's going to work. Huh? Somebody tell you don't pray. She's so okay, I promise. Sorry, I won't pray. Do you remember when it came out that the Jewish people found out the Mormons were praying for them, getting them into, heaven, into Mormon heaven by baptizing them, and they got all offended by that? It doesn't do anything, so why are you offended? Don't be putting Jewish people in heaven by Mormon baptism. That is just silliness. We get offended by so many silly things. Nothing was happening there but somebody getting wet. That's it. It didn't change people going from heaven or hell or anything like that. There's only one way into heaven. That's through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And so when you are this kind of believer, this salty kind of believer that loves, that forgives, that's merciful, that is hunger for righteousness, that praises God even in persecution, it's going to have an influence. And some people are going to just, oh, people, I don't, 
I hate Christians, right? We're living in a day and age that people hate Christians. We thought in America we'd never see that. And it's happened so quickly. It didn't change anything for us. It shouldn't change anything for you. It might be easier to live as a Christian in an easier culture. But think about it this way. Make things a lot more clearer, doesn't it? Makes things a lot more simple. Not easy, but simpler. We're going to live for Christ. But the other thing that salt does is it flavors. There's a song written by Wade Robinson. It's called, I am his and he is mine. And one of the verses says, heaven above is softer blue. Earth around is sweeter green. Something lives in every hue Christless eyes have never seen. Birds with gladder songs are flow. Flowers with deeper beauty shine. Since I know, as now I know, I am his and he is mine. Christless eyes don't see the beauty that's there because they don't know the creator. And yes, this world has fallen and it's under a curse, but there's still some beauty there, is there not? And we know that creator. That creator died for us. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. He came into the world. The world was made by him, and the world knew him not. But as it was many as received him, to them gave you the power to become the sons of God. That's who you are today as a believer. You know the one that spoke the worlds into creation. He loved you so much, the King of kings and the Lord of lords came down and washed you personally from your sin in his own blood. He died for you personally. Oh, that's a different perspective, my friend. That's different. That's why you can be gentle. You know the king. Your inheritance never going to pass away in heaven. And then he says, your light, see your flavor. What happens when you salt food? Makes you thirsty. For what? The water of the word. So that even in persecution, Peter wrote in 1 Peter 3.15, he said, be ready always to give an answer to those that ask you about the hope that lies within you. You see, there's people around you, just like when Tim passes away and his family is hurting and his own sons-in-law get up and give the message of the gospel from the depths of their pain. And people go, whoa, huh. That's what made Tim different. Oh. You see, all of a sudden, that flavor in our life can cause those he's working in their heart to say, hey, what is it you have? That beauty, that peace that passes understanding that even in the midst of deep trial, you seem to have this peace. As we said at the graveside, we sorrow, but not as others who have no hope because we believe that those who have died in Jesus, he's going to bring again. That's not like hope so. We just know that. Tim's body is in, in the little place that we put him there in the cemetery, but he's at home with the Lord. We know that. That's not something we hope about. That's all the rest of the world has. Well, we hope we're right. There's a deep and settled peace in the lives of believers because we have Christ. And Christ is the light of the world, and we are called to be that reflection.
God sets you on a hill in the midst of the darkness that you are in on purpose. And we can get so distracted by what's going on in politics and the world just going downhill. And what, who's going to save it? It's not going to get saved, folks. It's disposable. We still have this opportunity to let our light shine, to be found faithful in our time and place. Well, you can look back, you can read Fox's Book of Martyrs and think, how in the world did those people stay faithful? You know, people in countries that are persecuted, that have lived through persecution, they pray for us because they say, in the midst of all this wealth and this ease, how do believers in America stay faithful? They pray for us. Praise God. He's given to every one of us this opportunity to let our light so shine before men in such a way. See, the Pharisees could let their works shine, but guess that? That's just shame and secrecy. That's fake. As I said before, legalism doesn't inspire anybody, but life does. Jesus came that we might have life, and he has made you a peacemaker that you might share that life, but they're not going to know if you don't let it shine. It's just what believers do. Let it shine. Let it shine in such a way so they try to say, oh, you're such a good person. No, no, no. No. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Not I. I'm still weak. I'm still a sinner. But bless God by his amazing grace, he's chosen me. Not by my own merit, because there is nothing that merits our salvation to God. But that's the life that he put within you. So that Jesus could look across and say, listen, you've got to have more than they got. You've got to have more than the Pharisees do. Sometimes there are people that come along that are very good at character in their lives. And they know how to tell themselves when to do their homework at a very young age. And they just kind of seem to do right. You say, I just can't be like that. Sometimes people are looking at your life that way. They go, oh, well, they're just, they're just better. You know, Tim just had that character. He was just better. No, Tim had Christ. And you need to let people know it's Christ in you that gives you the will and the desire to do the will of God. Let your light shine in such a way that they may give God glory. Father, we thank you for your love for us. Lord, we are amazed that these things are in us. We know ourselves. And you look at us dressed in the righteousness of Jesus. Oh, Lord, that we might be perfect, even as our Heavenly Father is perfect. That, that might be our desire. To desire righteousness, because if we desire you, the rest of this stuff is not going to be a problem. And, Lord, you've put us in this corrupt culture who glorifies man and the creature more than the creator. And as they've turned their back on you in this culture, Lord, we see it begin to die. And violence and sin and is on the uprise. And Lord, sometimes we look at that and we're discouraged at the storm. Lord, help us to look at you. So that we might be found faithful in our generation, in our time and place. That one day you might say to us, well done, child. You were faithful. And then, Lord, with all the saints of all the ages, we'll give you glory because you're worthy. 
In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand and sing together.